Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, To Republicans, he's a hero. To Democrats, he's one of the biggest threats of the Trump administration. But Trump's top environmental official, Scott Pruitt, is turning out to be something else. And how the federal battle over climate change feels to one coal miner from Kentucky. It's Thursday, March 30th. Hey, Coral. Hey, Michael. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) Always good to be here. Coral Davenport is back for the second day in a row. She covers energy and the environment for The Times. Mm -hmm. So in this really polarized political climate that we live in right now, what does it look like when Donald Trump appoints Scott Pruitt as the head of the Environmental Protection Agency? Um, Not just liberals, but people who follow this issue saw Scott Pruitt as a stunning choice. If fossil fuels go away... If we don't go after two-thirds of our fossil fuel that is in the ground, I ask you a question. What's going to happen to the cost of electricity? What's going to happen to manufacturing our businesses? You've never before had a head of the Environmental Protection Agency who has built his career on trying to tear it down. Mm. You start asking the question, this body called the EPA, this agency called the EPA, What is their role? What is their objective? Scott Pruitt spent the last two years suing the EPA 14 times. His sort of fundamental philosophy is that the EPA shouldn't be doing a lot of what it's doing. What did the nomination of Scott Pruitt as head of the EPA look like from a conservative perspective? Last Friday, I was sworn in as the EPA administrator. Conservatives clapped and cheered. And I will tell you, the future ain't what it used to be at the EPA. I mean, Donald Trump has, in one sense, outwitted everyone again by putting in place the the very guy who's been the biggest pain in their behind. Conservatives have been taking aim at the EPA for a long time. The Church of Global Warming has completely subsumed the idea that business still has to exist. But especially during the Obama administration, they put a real target on it. The EPA under this administration treats states like a vessel of federal will. The Obama administration put out so many major new environmental regulations. And uh, Scott Pruitt's sort of seen as, you know, this savior coming in who is going to take it all apart. And, and they were delighted. How does it feel to be here today with pretty much everyone hoping that the very agency you are running is going to go away, literally? What's justified, I think, is we look over the last several years, uh, the agency that I'm tasked to lead at this point is being used by the previous administration to truly impact our country in ways that we never could have imagined. 
What exactly is President Trump asking Scott Pruitt to do? So the number one thing is to start dismantling these major environmental regulations that have been left behind Mm -hmm. by the Obama administration. And the big one, the one that's most controversial, is the set of regulations aimed at stopping global warming. No challenge poses a greater threat to our future and future generations than a changing climate. And that's what brings us here today. It has a name. It's known as the Clean Power Plan. Today we're here to announce America's Clean Power Plan, a plan two years in the making and the single most important step America has ever taken in the fight against global climate change. It's a very controversial set Mm -hmm. of regulations. And the aim of it is to cut planet-warming carbon dioxide emissions from coal-fired power plants. Those are the number one contributor to uh, greenhouse pollution in the U.S. If those regulations were to be fully implemented, they would probably lead to the shutdown of hundreds of coal plants across the country. It's an EPA rule, and what Donald Trump wants Scott Pruitt to do is to start the legal process of unwinding it and making it go away. Mm -hmm. But the Obama administration and, and the lawyers he had working for him worked for several years to try to legally bulletproof this regulation. They knew it would be difficult and they knew it would be controversial. And how'd they do that? They put forth a legal finding. It has a wonky name. It's called the endangerment finding about carbon dioxide, which is gas that's caused by burning coal, oil, fossil fuels um, that causes global warming. Um, under the Clean Air Act, if something is defined as a pollutant that harms human health, if it endangers human health, the federal government is required to regulate it. So they put forth an endangerment finding saying CO2 uh, endangers human health. It meets the legal definition of a pollutant because by warming the planet and contributing to drought, rising sea levels, food shortages, all these sort of long-term damages, it endangers human health. That was a really creative interpretation of the law. They they took the legal authority they had and they ran it as far as they could go. However, the endangerment findings stood up to all the legal challenges against it. Hmm. And there were a lot of challenges? Big challenges. Uh, It went to a federal court. The federal court upheld it. It was appealed to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court declined to uh, hear the case, meaning that it stands. What has Scott Pruitt actually said about CO2? Scott Pruitt was asked about CO2 on CNBC Squawk Box. Sounds like you were watching. Yes. Do you believe that it's been proven that CO2 is the primary control knob for climate? Do you believe that? No, I think that that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's tremendous disagreement about the the degree of impact. Uh, That was a stunning response. It was absolutely at odds with decades-long Uh, global scientific consensus about the impacts of CO2. So this is where things start to get a little interesting. Trump asks Pruitt to begin dismantling all of these regulations we've been talking about that President Obama put into place. What does Pruitt find when he tries to start to do that? So if if they were able to legally overturn the endangerment finding, that would just rip up the need to have any regulations on CO2 ever. Mm. And so Pruitt went to look at this, and as much as he has 
built his career fighting what the EPA does, fighting these regulations. He's also a lawyer. He's an attorney general. He brought 14 suits against the EPA. He knows these laws really well. And he basically said he thinks it's too legally risky to go after it. Hmm. So, you know, what we saw earlier this week was Trump putting forth this executive order, directing Pruitt to start unwinding all these regulations. And a lot of people really wanted that executive order to specifically take aim at the endangerment finding. And Hmm. Pruitt said, don't do that. Don't put that in there. I, I don't think I can do it. So how has Trump reacted to this development? Well, the world around Trump, that group is furious at Pruitt, and they they are already criticizing him. Some are even already calling for his removal. They're calling for his head. Yes, they they are. So, you know, as you know, Steve Bannon used to be the head of Breitbart News. Mm -hmm. Just this week, um, a writer at Breitbart News, James Dellingpole, who's very close with Bannon, wrote a piece tearing Pruitt apart for not going after that endangerment finding, accusing him of being green which is a great insult coming from this group, saying he's he's not tough enough. He's not who Trump thought he was. He, he's not doing what he was brought in to do. He's not fighting to take away these rules. He's too pro-environment, which is amazing. It's, it's funny, given everything we just discussed about the way the left and the right views Pruitt, what you're telling me is he's not a boogeyman mm-hmm. and he's not a savior. He's a lawyer. Thank you, Coral. Thank you. It's fun. I like walking out. Forget the political, forget the legal. For the 65,000 coal miners in the U.S., this is just about daily life. We called one of them. Hello? Mark Gray. Hey, is this Mr. Gray? Yes. Hey, it's Michael Barbaro from The Times. Okay. I think I had the wrong number by one digit. Yeah, I think I gave you the wrong number. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I'm not used to this number over here. It's a Tennessee number. Mm-hmm. And I've not lived over here too long. So does that so, mean you have moved? Yes, I moved from Kentucky. I've had to move away. So I want to start with where you used to live. Can you tell me about the community where you grew up? And lived and worked. What, in Harlan County? Yep. Oh, yeah, it's a wonderful place. <laughs> There's just clean living. Before uh, they shut all the mines down, it was it was really a booming little town. It's uh, It was just a comfortable living. It's no, no New York City or nothing like that, but it's just a little country town. A little piece of God's green earth. <laughs> Mark, what did you do in... In Harlan? I was a coal miner. I went to work at 18 years old, working underground in a coal mine. My daddy was a coal miner. He, my, all my brothers was coal miners, and uh, my uncles was coal miners, and all of us was coal miners. How big was the coal mining industry in that town when you were growing up? Oh, when I was growing up, it was big. I mean, it was over 100 mines running. Wow. A lot of big companies. I can name a few of them off to you. RV Co. was a big company. Jericho Mining was a big company. Leco was a big company. Bledsoe was a big company. Now there ain't none of them there anymore. 
they're not there no more. What was the big turning point where it all started to seem to to go down? Whenever the big turning point was whenever the Obama administration put out regulations on coal. They just put the restriction on coal so hard that the companies couldn't mine it, and it was either shut down or go broke. You know, mm-hmm. look, I understand clean air. I understand clean water. But I understand, too, people have got to live. Mm-hmm. It was like any other industry. Some years you would have ups, some years you would have downs. It fluctuated. But during the Obama administration, it declined all the way down. Which, you know, if it's not the way to go, don't just jerk it out from under the man and say, that's it, you get nothing. I haven't been a close observer of this like you. This has been your life and your work, so so you know it very well. But yeah, my my understanding, really well. of course. But but my understanding is that that none of the Obama regulations, the clean power plan, as as it's often referred to, have actually been implemented yet. They were announced but never got fully implemented. So when President Trump and others talk about bringing back coal jobs, it sounds. Like he's talking more about a long-term decline in this industry that doesn't necessarily have to do with a specific set of policies. No, that's not so. What is so is this. You got the EPA. Mm -hmm. Okay, you got your EPA, federal government, saying how we mine coal, where we can mine coal, Mm -hmm. when we can mine coal. Obama administration said, look... You can go ahead and build your power plants, your coal plants. You're just going to go broke hmm. because they're not going to let you run it. They're not going to let you run them. They're not going to let you do mine coal. Right. In the last eight years, more restriction was put on coal than 80 years. That's it. That's, that's a whole nutshell. That's all. Mm-hmm. What did you make of Donald Trump as a candidate speaking really directly to coal miners, to your community, in really different terms than either his opponent, Hillary Clinton, or President Obama. Obama, in particular, seemed to basically have accepted the end of the coal industry in the United States, maybe even encouraged its end, but Trump was promising to completely revive it. Were you drawn to that? Well, I was listening to him, and I was listening to both candidates. Okay. Mm-hmm. Look, the coal miners don't want a handout. Mm-hmm. They never did. They didn't want a handout. They just wanted to work. They want to support their families. And Hillary Clinton says, oh, we've got $30 million set aside for coal miners. We don't want the charity. They want to work. Did you vote for Trump? I voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump. I'm proud of him. Mark, I, I I have to ask you about this. Has the coal industry had any kind of a negative impact on your life? On my life? Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom had eight kids. It fed eight kids. Raised eight kids coal did. My mom raised eight kids on the coal miner's pay. Mm. I've raised four kids on the coal miner's pay. Okay? Mm-hmm. No, it ain't had no bad impact on my life. 
I, I mean, the, I mean, how tough it's—it's it's extremely tough work, and for some people, it has—it's—it's it, it's oh tough on their, it's tough on the bodies, it's tough on your body. It's, it's tough on it's a, it was tough on my body. I've got black lung right now. I've got third stage black lung. I have, but see again, that's the choice that we had to make. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I would if I had it to do over again. Guess what? I would make the same choice. Because I loved coal mining. I love work. I love getting down there and when you bring home a paycheck, it's, you know you've earned it. Nobody's give it to you. Yes, but. Is that your spouse? Yes. Hey, could you do me a favor? Yes. Could you send me a copy of the paper that, when it comes out? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, Whatever. I mean, you, uh, yeah, I can send you the this episode of the show and i i think i can send you a a copy of the paper too okay so mark i want to i want to talk to you about the environmental side of this for just a minute we've heard comparisons of coal to things like lead and asbestos and mercury and those are cases where as a country we've decided that that something is too dangerous and that there are safer alternatives out there. And in those past cases, what's happened is that the country has kind of collectively decided to wind down or shut down an industry and force everyone to embrace that alternative. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody in your position respond to that. What do you say to the idea that, that coal is the next in this long line of industries that are just too dangerous and need to be dismantled? No, it's not. And why not? Really, it's not. Why not this one when all the rest were? Well, okay, this one here, coal is dangerous in which capacity? Of poisoning you or what? what? Mining the coal? You can make mining of coal safe. Burning the coal? Is that dangerous? That's the one people are focused on. Oh, was the, the, the what? The smoke? Uh, the fumes coming from coal? How many cars have you got out on the United States right now? How many cars have you got out here that's you throwing out carbon dioxide and throwing out the stuff that people are saying that's so dangerous? They picked on one thing, specific thing, that was coal. They picked on coal. They didn't go out here and pick on the oil companies, saying, oh, look, do this and do that for oil. They didn't do that. Coal. You understand what I'm saying? Have you heard of a clean coal plant before? I have not been to a... To a coal, I've not been to a coal plant at all, candidly. You've never been to a coal plant? I haven't. Please, go see how they use coal. I don't know where you get your information from, the White House or a Capitol Hill or somewhere or that. They don't live here in Kentucky. They don't live here. There's these people that told you that coal is bad for the ozone layers, uh, bad for the air. Have they? Lived in a coal camp? Have they ever visited a coal camp? No. They're like you. But see, they got draw conclusions that it's bad. That's my take. Yeah, I'm having a very, uh, I'm having a very strong reaction to what you're telling me because mm-hmm. <clears throat> I realize I, I haven't experienced the things that you're quite rightly asking me if I've ever experienced. If you go see something for yourself, then 
you can draw your own conclusions. Kentucky ain't that far away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, it's not, is it? Look at it. Mark, I, I still want to understand whether you think this industry has a real future. Or if you think... Yes, it is. It's, it's, it has a real future. It has a future. How does it have a future? You can mine coal. You can mine coal safe. You can burn coal. You can burn coal clean. It has a future if they would just unregulate it. Mm-hmm. You know, companies will come back. Men will go back to work. Slowly, but yeah, surely. Do you think that President Trump's new policy can actually save the coal industry? Well, it's going to have to be seen, but uh, it can't hurt it. It really can't hurt it. It can only help it. Right. Well, Mark, I really want to thank you. This is, it's been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. It's been really nice talking to you. It's been really nice talking to you. Thank you, sir. Okay, bye. Bye. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. This conversation now, that mean you have, it's going to stay in the back of your mind. You know that, don't you? I do know that. It's going to stay in the back of your mind. And whatever, any kind of politicians or anybody, and you're doing your interviews now with them, and they go, oh, we know that something is really bad. Co is bad. First question you should ask is, oh, have you been there? Have you seen coal work? Have you seen coal burn? Have you seen coal cleaned? Have you seen a mine coal? But if the answer is no, I suggest you have a little bit of a doubt on what they say. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. Uh, Many graphic songs have been written about the coal mines and the men who work them, none more so than this song that Gordy's going to do next. It's called Dark as a Dungeon Way Down in the Mine. I'm sure you're going to dig it. <laughs> Come all you young laddies, so young and so fine, and seek not your fortune in the dark dreary mine. To form as a habit, seep in your soul. Till the stream of your blood runs as black as the coal Or it's dark as a dungeon, damp as the dew Where the dangers are double, the pleasures are few Where the rain never falls and the sun never shines It's dark as a dungeon way down in the mine When times became uncertain Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit wampley.com to learn more.